and welcome to another episode of James Bond and Friends. Uh, this episode is episode 007. Um, so in honor of that number, we thought we would do something slightly different today and talk about alcohol. Because <laughs> why not? And, it, it's, and it's use in both the books and the films. And today I'm joined with uh, by two guests, um, our regular contributor David Lee from the 007 Dossier. Say hello, David. Hi there. Um, I run the the JamesBondDossier.com. Um, many people know me on Twitter, and I've written a book all about James Bond booze called The Complete Guide to the Drinks of James Bond. Excellent. And unfortunately, Brian couldn't be with us today, so he's joined by his twin brother, Bill Koenig. How's it going, Bill? <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Um, I'm Bill Koenig, and I run a uh, site called The Spy Command, and I also do some other sites, one of which is the Bond 25 Timeline, which is a chronology of the unfolding saga of Bond 25. Excellent. So start this off, I thought I'd frame some statistics uh, for everybody listening. Um and Bond in the books and Bond in the films are very different in terms of drinking habits. And I guess, David, you're the expert on, the, on the, that we can get into. I just wanted to round these numbers out that um, across the books, Bond drinks 1,150 units of alcohol in just 88 days, um, which is calculated to be 92 units a week or four times the recommended maximum intake. Um, which is pretty good. And I thought it would actually be more than four times the recommended intake, but I guess those standards have changed a little bit. Uh, but as across the films, uh, Craig has drunk the most, averaging 85 units across his four films, which is a lot less than the books, but on screen looks like he's knocking them back quite a lot. Yeah, especially so. uh, especially when he is flying uh, to Bolivia in Quantum of Solace when he knocks back all those Vespers. I don't, know how right. many, I don't know how many units that would be in uh, one sitting. Uh, well, how, much, how many units? How, was it seven he drank? So it would be seven times however many units. It's probably 14 or 21, yeah, depending yeah, on yeah. how they're it's, it. it's pretty good going. I was about to say, how many units in just one of those Vespers? It's, it's, it's more than an ounce. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it, it's it's a few, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he, he must he must uh, cut back a bit when he's when he's not on screen, yeah. Uh, right, yeah. and 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 at altitude, obviously the effects yeah, yeah, are yeah, yeah. more pronounced as yeah. well. So. But, uh, I don't know, 90, 92 units a week. I don't know. That, that sounds like some of my friends. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, David, as the resident expert on, especially on the books, uh, on on this, um, tell us a little bit about Bond's drinking habits in the books, because I think a lot of people will be less familiar with that than the. Um, the screen present. Yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't know if I'm an expert in it. Uh, I, I'll, I'll say a very enthusiastic amateur. But um, the in the books, I think the big difference uh, that you you really see is that the Bond uh, drinks a, a much wider variety of, of, of booze, and he he drinks plenty of gin martinis as well as vodka martinis. Um, and he also tends to drink uh, whatever the locals drink. You know? And if you think about whenever you go on holiday, I, I think that's kind of the natural thing to do. And um, I, I don't know whether the the films kind of reflect a more 
the, the more um, global nature of, of uh, everything now where, you know, you get the same brands wherever you go in the world and people stick to that or whether it, it, it's just uh, uh, something to do with the sponsorships. Uh, but, you know, um, in, uh, in uh, You Only Live Twice, for example, in, in the book and the film, uh, Bond drinks uh, sake, and um, of course, if you go to Japan, you expect to you expect to come across sake. But uh, it's it, you don't. Um, I, I think you don't notice him going for the for the local drinks so much in, in the films, especially these days, as you would have found in in the, in the books. Uh, I don't know if you've got uh, any any opinion about that. Yeah, I was going to say it's. I think that's also a sign of the times because, you know. Dr. No shot in 62 and he had red striped beer, right? Which was the locally available beer in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Bond 25 going to Jamaica, probably going to be Heineken. Cause what, yes. you know, yeah, yeah. drinking a Dutch beer, the other side of the, in the Caribbean, the other side of the world makes total sense. And some of that is, as you say, the, like the homogenization of the brands right across the world. Um, and also yeah. part of it is licensing deals, right? Because they're going yeah, to yeah, go yeah. with whoever it is, regardless of where the location is. It's no longer part of the location. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the, the most recently, the the thing that kind of fits in well, I suppose, is in Casino Royale when Bond is in the Bahamas and he orders um, a, a rum and soda water, and uh, you think, well, okay, uh, Bahamas rum goes well with that but uh, it's not a rum that comes from the bahamas i don't know if they actually produce rum in the bahamas at all actually but uh, um I, d- I don't know if they produce anything any booze in the bahamas but uh it, it, it certainly fits in well with, with with that area of the world though i think also in the movies bond isn't shown drinking beer all that often like in dr no there are all those boxes of red of red stripe but i don't recall him actually drinking a red stripe in the film off the top of my head yeah he he, he doesn't um I, th- I think the the first time that he he actually drinks beer is in quantum of solace and uh the the funny thing was when it was announced that he'd be uh drinking heineken in skyfall uh bond fans just went crazy and it probably stirred out up by uh, the daily mail and and so on uh, because you know they, they were they were framing it as Bond was ditching his vodka martinis and, and drinking Heineken instead, but um, everybody seemed to overlook that in the previous film he had actually been drinking uh, beer on screen with, with Felix when they meet. That's right. Yes, <laughs> and I, I think that that's the first time he actually drinks beer. That he he gets served a. Um, Budweiser in in License to Kill, but uh, I, I don't think he actually gets to even sip it before a fight breaks out. Well, it's probably for the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Budweiser is more a, a feat of engineering than it is of, of a drink because they, they managed to make it exactly the same at, like, I think nine different plants, which is, like, mm-hmm. considered next to impossible for, like, a normal beer, so... I, I always have to laugh at the, uh, especially the Super Bowl, the Budweiser ads when it says "enjoy responsibly." Like I don't know how you enjoy Budweiser irresponsibly because I think you can just drink it all day and not feel anything. <laughs> Having a shot with it, I think, is uh, about the right. only way. Right. <laughs> yeah, and and actually talking about beer, there are plenty of occasions in the books when when Bond 
does drink beer. Um, and probably the, the main one is on a Majesty's Secret Service. And he, he kind of has a, uh, a stag night, a bachelor party with a, I think it was an ex-Luftwaffe uh, pilot. And they're in Munich before before the marriage to Tracy. And uh, he, he goes out on the town with, with his taxi driver and they they knock back, I think it's six steins of beer. So uh, it, it gets pretty plastered. And uh, the short story, The Living Daylights, um, I think he, he has some lowenbrow, doesn't he? The yeah. Short, the short story. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's right. Um, uh, Goldfinger, I think he he also does. So uh, you know, there are there are various times that he does, and uh, I, I can't quite remember. But I think I think it's Lowenbrow again in in Goldfinger. I, I could be wrong on that though. I said I, I wasn't an expert. I'm just an enthusiastic <laughs> amateur. Um, when you were, when you were putting your book together, David, were there any drinks that you hadn't experienced or seen in real life, and you had to like dig around to see what they were, just because of their uh... obscurity? Oh God! Uh, it's it's a few years ago now. I think I think the the first one w- was in 2010. Um, so I, I can't I can't think of anything in particular that um, that I, I that I, I had that experience with. Um, but uh, maybe it'll come to me later, though. If, if I think of something, I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> okay. mention it later. Um, one of the things I found when I was looking at the statistics of this was. A lot of the you know mass media obviously tags Bond with vodka martinis, but especially in the books, it's mostly champagne, right? As the most frequently quaffed drink. Uh, I think probably it's whiskey, actually. All right. Well, they're both good in um, my books. I mean, they're both fine. Well, well in, in, <laughs> yeah, I was about to say in Goldfinger, you know, of course, the first sentence is something like James Bond with two double bourbons already inside him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's my that's my favorite flooding example of drinking because, yeah, in in fact that that whole the, the whole the, the first few chapters of Goldfinger are just Bond boozing. Um, he starts or he starts off with those two bourbons. I think he has a third and then a fourth, and then. Um, because he, he meets he meets uh, Julius Dupont at the airport, who was one of the card players at Casino Royale. And then uh, they go off to dinner, and they they have two double vodka martinis, and they have pints of champagne. And it's like, uh, well, I, I reckon that the um, he, he must have got through his ninety two units in that night. Well, and Mister Dupont tells the waiter, <laughs> and two more martinis in ten minutes. Ten minutes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I get hung over just reading the chapters. Um, and then the next morning, he's just fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's practice. Yeah, you just don't do it enough. <laughs> so are there, any, are there any drinks that you would like to see um, in the movies, to uh, in the film series, to kind of better reflect Fleming's original character. Yes, there, there absolutely is, and w- one thing he's never uh, had in the films is a gin and tonic, and um, he he drinks he drinks uh, gin and tonics uh, two or three times, uh, I guess, in in the books. But there's one uh, particular occasion, uh, and it, it must be Doctor No when he's he, he's um, happily in his hotel room in in Jamaica. And he, he orders 
uh, his drink from room service, and he's you know, just he's looking out on the the uh, tropical gardens in his hotel and so on, and he gets the gin and tonic sent up with a an entire lime, and so he cuts the lime, squeezes the lime into into his glass, he pours the tonic and and ice in and uh that's that's a, a really kind of refreshing way to have a gin and tonic but you know i, I think gin went out of favor uh, for many years and it's not it's something that was kind of really really associated with, with older people but it's come back uh, in a big way in the last few years and you know you get all all these um specialty gins and so i i, I think it's time uh, for Bond to go for a gin and tonic in, in the films and and to to serve it like this because it's you know it, it because it is quite a particular way and he can be fussy with his drinks. Uh, among the continuation authors, William Boyd with Solo, um, he had Bond drinking a variety of drinks. I can't remember them all off the top of my head, but there might have been a gin and tonic in there too, or. Something with lime, I forget what it was, but it's like there's one chapter, it's just him and Felix are just talking about the assignment and drinking. And That's right, yes, I, re- I remember that, because yeah, they're in Africa, aren't they? And they, it, they, I think it's like, a, uh, they, they call it an, an African martini or something like that. I can't, I don't remember how it's mixed, but yeah, you're right. And, uh, but they, I, I, I think it was that book as well that uh, towards the end of it, um, Bond is at, at a, his table uh, in a, I think it's in New York at a restaurant, and he asks the waiter to bring him um, olive oil and vinegar and mustard. And um, he, as part of his meal, he orders a salad, but then he mixes his, he mixes his own salad dressing, <laughs> which I thought was a bit over the top. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Speaking of continuation novels, um, carte blanche. Um, Jeffrey Diva made his own cocktail named after the book. And I remember at the Skyfall premiere, before the premiere, we had a drinks party uh, before the screening at the world premiere. And we certainly did. Yes, I remember attending it. Yeah. And uh, one of our illustrious colleagues arranged it so that it was basically an open bar for everybody from the MI6 group. And we had carte blanche as one of the drinks on the menu. And I hadn't actually tried one yet. And so that's the first thing I ordered. And through a series of circumstances of people having to run off and do things and come back, I ended up with like four of them. Um, (laughs) And these were not small measures. By any mm-hmm. Bertie's bar, I think we were in 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 London, and so I had four of those uh, right prior to the screening, and um, thoroughly enjoyed them. Yeah. <laughs> All four of them. Uh, I I, re- I remember actually standing with you at the bar and having quite a long conversation as as uh, the alcohol took effect, James. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually make those at home now. That's one of my favourites out of yeah. the Bond series. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if I've ever tried one. Uh, perhaps I should. Yeah, it's Crown Royal whiskey, triple sec, some bitters, and a twist of orange peel. It's kind of you know, it's a bit of a take on, it's a riff on an old fashioned, I guess, with the mm-hmm. extra orange. But yeah, absolutely love them. So that got me hooked. I was just going to say the movie theater or one of the movie theaters I go to it has a bar, and in addition to you know regular alcohol and beer, they they come up with uh, specialty drinks tied into movies being shown. And I remember they did do one for Skyfall. I cannot remember what they put in it, but, and it wasn't cheap. It would be like 
10, $12, something like that, you know, just for one. But, uh, yeah. So, so, so sometimes movie theaters, you know, will do that, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. No, no chance, no chance of getting drinks at, uh, the places that I go to on the, uh, infrequent, uh, opportunities i have to go to the cinema but uh, uh it's, a, it's a nice idea yeah, that's what the hip <laughs> flask is for <laughs> <laughs> yeah i hadn't thought about it that now I'll, I'll dig it out yeah as as kids we used to smuggle candy and sweets into the cinema and ad, ad, as adults we smuggle in beverages yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey so uh bill you had a trip to new york um you wanted to talk about that was related to the topic of um, bond and booze Yes. Um, a friend of mine, um, he was living in the greater New York area at the time and actually worked in the city. And uh, he and I met and we did kind of a, a 007 tour of, you know, this is mostly the literary bond. But so I met him at the train station and we had Miller High Life because that's, he drank that in Diamonds Are Forever, as I recall, the novel. And we went to the 21 Club and we also went to Sardi's. Um, at the time Bond visited Sardis, the windows upstairs were like blacked out, but they have since, um, taken that down. They're now, you know, clear windows and Sardis is in the middle of the theater district. Uh, you know, it's all very colorful. Um, you know, the 21 club, they have all those jockey statues out front. They're still there. Um, there's a guy who does a, a Twitter feed about the literary bond. It's, you know, from the, from the, uh, perspective of Bond. He can't tell you what's really going on because, you know, the mission's secret. So, you know, it's kind of disguised, but he, you get an idea of just how much, you know, the literary Bond drinks, you know, the way he serializes it, you know, is, you know, Twitter feeds. And sometimes he does little emojis with all his drinks and it's <laughs> quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> and why do you think they blacked out the windows? I don't know. You know what? He told me the story and I don't remember because, I mean, this was like seven or eight years ago. Um, you know, it might have even had something to do with like when it was originally built. It was, you know, the um, Prohibition. Okay. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. yeah. Trying to keep it yeah. secret or hide it because um, the bar is upstairs, if I remember correctly. Well, actually, I think they've got one downstairs and one upstairs, but... Uh, but because it, it was originally a speakeasy, wasn't it? I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, either that or yes. the Twenty One Club was. I forget. Yeah, maybe both conceivably. Yeah, bit of New York history there. Yeah, yeah. I've I've been going there a lot lately, and um, unfortunately, I haven't had time to um, start revisiting some of these locations. But the, the great thing about the city is a lot of it changes, but a lot of it stays the same. And. Mm. Um, the history there with Bond and I'd love Bond to go back to New York at some point. Um, live and let die. We didn't really see much of it. The, the good part of it anyway. Right. Um, so it's kind of overdue. I think. Right. At, at the very end, Felix says, I'll see you tomorrow night at the 21 club. But of course we don't, we don't get to that. Um, so, so I, from this, I, I guess uh, we want to see Bond at the 21 club then. Oh, sure. At least, at least in front of it. <laughs> When the public are asked to, you know, identify with the kind of drinks that James Bond, obviously the vodka martini always comes to the top. Um, and it was resurrected really well in Casino Royale, right? The, the sort of the origin of the drink came out in that film and kind of put it back in the public conscious, right? It wasn't 
a, a meme anymore. It was actually a real thing. And bars around the world started serving it again and making it, quote, unquote, the right way. Um, but there was one little kink, wasn't there, with um, the original recipe? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it's funny because uh, it's like a week before the film came out, they, on the website, um, they had at the time they they had uh it, it was clear that they were going to have the, the vesper in it and uh and uh, one of the uh key ingredients is the is kina lile and so i did some research prior to the prior to actually seeing the film to to uh to find out more about it because i'd been reading about it for years every time I, i'd uh, read uh the book and um and they the thing is uh, uh, they don't make Kina Lille anymore. They um, it, they haven't made it for, for decades, in fact. And it, it's not. It, I I don't think I've really seen a definitive answer as to when they changed the formulation. And it's difficult to to find out when they they changed the name. That I, I think maybe they had even changed the name as far as back as the fifties. But uh, um, the formulation certainly was changed in, in the eighties or, or earlier. And um, the, the kina in the kina lile refers to the use of quinine, which is very, very bitter. And it's, you know, quinine is also used in, in tonic water as well for, for, for your gin and tonic too. And so uh, the, uh, the uh, lile blanc that you, you can buy these days is a very, very different drink to the kina lile. It, it's not bitter at all. And potentially it's doesn't taste anything like Kina Lille, although uh, it's, it's difficult to know exactly what it tastes like. But I do know somebody who went to a tasting of uh, an unopened bottle of Kina Lille a couple of years ago, and he keeps telling me he's going to uh, write up his notes on it, but uh, so far he hasn't. So if you're listening to this, David, uh, I want to hear about that. <laughs> Yeah. So, so the because of because of using a lile blanc rather than kina lile, the it means the if, if you if you mix the vesper, then you know it's it's gin, uh, vodka, and and kina uh, lile. Then uh, it it comes out rather different than it, it would do otherwise, and so uh, there are a few ways to get around that and. Uh, one of them is simply to, to add some drops of uh, Angostura bitters or or other bitters to to the uh, cocktail shaker when, when you mix it, and it just adds some some bitterness. And for me, that that actually makes it, it does make a better drink because I think it's unbalanced without the bitterness. Uh, you know, and it, it doesn't mean doesn't need to it doesn't need to be super bitter, but it just just add just I don't know it it's it, 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 it um. It, it, it gives a better taste for me anyway. And um, I was actually about to say concerning the Vespers, um, you know, for many years they had just shortened it to, you know, vodka, martini, shaken, not stirred to the point it you could say it was a cliche. But the problem though, was when they went to Vespers in the Daniel Craig films, you went from a one liner to a paragraph. And so like in quantum of solace, the, the bartender on that, uh, on that flight you know, has, to, has to take about a minute to explain how you make the drink. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, he's very. Um, he 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 makes it very clear that uh, Lille Blanc isn't uh, isn't vermouth as well, and I, I don't know why they do that. He says it is, which is not a vermouth, but I don't know. I don't know why that line's in there. It's uh, absurd. But uh, there you go. Uh, but okay, okay so. Uh, adding adding the bitters to to the mixture is one way to to get the right balance. But um, there are, there are a couple of other things that you can do. Uh, or one is to mix the ves- mix the vespa using uh, cocchi americano, which is an Italian uh, uh, liqueur. Okay, um, so you just simply substitute it. And that that's supposed to be more like Kina Lille. Uh, there is an, another one. Is, is, there's an American uh, produced liqueur, and it, it's uh, something like uh, they changed the name slightly, and it, it's Kina uh, Lavion or, or something like that. And it, uh, that's supposed to be more like uh, Kina Lele. I, I haven't tried it, I can't get it here. Um, and the other thing that uh, people do is add uh, a bit of quinine bark to. A bottle of Lille Blanc, and it makes it a bit bit more bitter. Uh, if you could eat, if you leave it in too long, it spoils the drink. So be careful of that. And uh, another way I was told is to make a tincture of of uh, of quinine. Just add a couple of drops to to the drink, and you're done. So uh, there are ways to get the flavour, but it's difficult really to know what the original flavour would have been like. And according to Kingsley Amis, um, he reckoned that uh, Fleming had made a mistake and and that uh, he shouldn't have been putting Kinelilay in the drink anyway. So uh, who knows? This, this all sounds like a very good reason to have an event mm-hmm. uh, where we taste various different variations of the vodka martini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing is, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually call this a, a vodka martini. It's certainly a very because I mean the main ingredient really is gin. So uh, for the and there is a recipe for the uh, the vodka martini given in Live and Let Die, which is, I believe, it's six parts uh, vodka to one of vermouth, and so um, you know, that, that's a far far simpler drink uh, to mix uh, if you're going to do it. Um, but yeah, uh, an an event where you sample different ways to mix martinis sounds like a great idea. Yeah, I think um, maybe around April next year. We'll figure uh, something out. No, that, that sounds like a that sounds like a good plan. Yeah, uh, I I might be able to make that the the drink or the event. <laughs> well, it, depending on how, but depending on how it goes, maybe the drink, but not the event. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and, and uh, actually, the, a, a couple of things. Um, just generally about shaking martinis really is that um, a lot of mar- a lot of martini purists will tell you never to shake a martini and uh, but uh, Fleming w- was into shaking his martinis uh, he there, there's a he, he, some, he wrote something, I, I don't remember exactly what it was for, but it was aimed at American tourists uh, visiting London and it was basically instructions on how to uh, go into a pub and order a, a decent martini, and so and basically it's, it's like 
point at the martini shaker and tell them to put this much gin in and um, this much uh, vermouth and uh, and then uh, get them to put ice in it and shake it for this much time and th- you should get a fairly decent martini. And so he, he was clear that his martini should be shaken. And uh, the, the problem with that, and it you know, doesn't matter whether it's made with gin, vodka, or whether it's a Vespa martini, is that uh, you, you the, the drink comes out very cloudy compared with, with stirring in, and which you know for me is, is not a particular problem. But there, the the, the cloudiness comes uh, because of, of two things. One of them is the aeration when, of shaking, and the, the aeration really it doesn't really take that long to to, to come out if you, if you just let the drink um, sit for for a few few moments but the other which I, I think is much more important really is that you get um, or, or you can get uh, lots of micro uh, shards of ice and that that affects the, the mouth feel quite a lot and so um, if you're mixing it at home in particular then uh, the uh, one one big tip is to use high quality ice and so either buy it in and you need to make sure that it, the ice is, is just really really clear or if you if you're not buying it in then i if you look online there, there are all kinds of um uh, of tips on how to get clear ice and i've tried them all i think and they don't work uh, except one which partially does the job and that is to if you boil the water let it cool down and then freeze it, it and then it tends to be clearer yeah. than uh, if you don't otherwise. Yeah, because you're taking you're taking uh, a lot of the it, air that's trapped in the fluid out, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's exactly that. It's exactly that. You don't remove it all. Uh, it'll still end. It'll probably uh, end up clear at the edges and cloudy in the center. But when you shake it, it doesn't. It doesn't seem to break up the same way as it, it would otherwise, and so you don't get so many uh, shards of ice. But then the other thing is, if you if you've got um, uh, a strainer, you know, basically, a, you know, it's like a tea strainer as long as long as you haven't just used it for tea, I suppose. And uh, if you pour it through that, you'll catch the shards of ice before they go into your glass, and so you've just got the air the aeration, and right. so uh, you can uh, just wait for that to clear if you want your martini to be clear. But uh, it certainly it it's, it changes the mouth feel completely and 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 the taste of the first few sips, which can. Uh, make or break a drink. I think. Yeah, the the one kind of uh, trick that I've always used that's worked quite well is if you get distilled water from the grocery store, um, rather than doing the whole boiling mm-hmm. thing, and then the um, instead of using like a standard kind of like ice cube tray, they have these um, bags where you pour the water in at the top, um, and mm-hmm. that stops the um, ice as it's being formed being too much contact with air. And that really helps too. So mm. those two things combined can work pretty well. Yeah, I, I, I haven't used those bags for a few years. Maybe I should try that again, actually. Yeah, that, that's a good tip. Okay, teamwork. I like it. That's right. <laughs> so, Bill, any thoughts on your favorite tipples from the Bond books or the movies, if you had to choose one? Um it's a top for me. It's a tie between Goldfinger, which we discussed, between him having bourbon and martinis mm-hmm. and champagne, pink champagne, if I remember. Right. Mm, it is, yeah. That 
Um, and then Thunderball, where it, it opens, he's hungover, and he talked about he, the first 10 whiskey and sodas, but then the 11th was the one that went <laughs> over the edge. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. As it does. <laughs> That's right. Um, oh, I, but I was also going to say about the movies, sometimes he orders something and he barely drinks. And I think some of it's just the different medium. You don't, you know, they don't have time to show him drinking a, well, an entire drink. So he'll like uh, order one, take a sip, and but the plot requires him to move on. So yeah, I, I think that's, that's, also, that's, that's also how you end up with four carte blanches 30 minutes before a movie screen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, I, I was going to say, I, I think that's also the reason that uh, the meals have never appeared really in, in the books, uh, sorry, in, in the films as well, because um, if, if you read the books, some of the some of the descriptions of the meals are, are fantastic. And, you know, you think the meal that he has in in Moonraker, for example, is, is a highlight. There's a lot of drinking in that as well. But um, I think... Uh, ordering a meal in a film doesn't really translate very well. And, you know, he can go through this whole palaver of, of um, ordering the, the meal and with all the, um, all the finesse that he, he requires, but then you don't want to see him eating it for 10 minutes, do you? <laughs> well, uh, I think we could see Daniel Craig, like, make his own salad dressing, though. Mm. I think that would work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, in a toweling onesie. I was about to say Goldfinger, the movie that that's an example of where you see it, I guess after they've had the meal, because they're like having the after dinner drink when Colonel Mm, Smithers finally gets down to business. So it's, you know, it's it's similar what they do with the golf game. They, you know, in the book you have all 18 holes of golf and the movie, it's, you know, the last two holes. And in that, it, Goldfinger, the meal, it's like the meal's basically done. You have that long shot showing just that enormous table, but they've pretty much already eaten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's just, uh, yeah, eating does not make good cinema. No, no. <laughs> no, chewing and talking. No. Yeah. Yeah, don't eat with your mouth full. <laughs> I've talked with your mouth last full. Time- <laughs> Sorry. I think the last time we saw one of those kind of um, almost pretentious meals was probably for your eyes only, where Roger orders. They're kind of out-ordering each other on their selections. At at the casino, yeah. Right, because Cristiano says something and then, but I, you know, Roger Moore comes back. I prefer he gives some example. Whilst we're on the kind of lifestyle bent on this episode, we had a really good question from um, one of the listeners, and uh, we haven't talked about this yet. But he asked, what are your favorite real-world Bond locations um, with you've, that you've either been to or plan to go to or wish you could go to out of either the books or the films? Well, uh, yeah, I, I've got a few, I, I guess. Um, one of them uh, from the, the books is uh, – it's not glamorous at all. I used to work in offices in New Oxford Street in London, and there was a there was a shop I used to pass every day on the way to to get the tube. And it was it was Morgan Computers at the time. I have no idea if it still exists there, but. Years later, I realised that that was actually the location where De Bruyne, uh was, uh, and that was where Bond in the books used to buy his coffee. So uh, it was a kind of accidental yeah. visit. 
Well, for work, I've been to a couple. Um, back when I used to work at Bloomberg, I went to I was at both Paris and Geneva. They weren't super prominent in the films, but you know, Paris is in Thunderball. It is in um, A View to a Kill. You know, I, I did I did go to the Eiffel Tower. I didn't go up it because I, I I basically had a day. And I was like cramming in all the places I wanted to visit, and I didn't want to spend the time to actually go up there. Um, but I but I went there, you know, to be on the the grounds of it and to actually see it up close. Um, the timing of this is ironic. I went to Notre Dame, um, the, the statues. Um, mm. But uh, what else? I've been to Las Vegas, but the Las Vegas of today is nothing like Fleming wrote about. It's it's so much bigger in corporate. Um, and I've been to London, but it was like basically an overnight layover on my way to the continent. I I don't really have a firm remembrance of London, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was born in London, so uh, a lot of a lot of that is. Uh, I don't. I, I take for granted. I guess. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the one thing I realised about London is moving to the other side of the world. You miss, you know, it's all these things as you say you take for granted. And then I remember when we were back for the Skyfall premiere, it was, it was all kind of like a little bit of nostalgia and mm-hmm. like, yeah, this stuff's great, and maybe we should spend some more time here, even though it was on our doorstep for like twenty yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Sort of yeah. I did. I went. I went somewhere else, which was. Uh, pretty good back in 2005. It's um, my other half was uh, posted out to Puerto Rico for a couple of months, I think it was, and so I, I went out there for for five or six weeks. And um, while she while she was uh, working during the week, then I kept busy either just running my business online or. Uh, or whenever I could, I used to go diving. But at the weekends, we we were visiting the just the various uh, locations on the island, and uh, one of them was the radio telescope at Arecibo, which is the uh, which appears in Goldeneye. It's the um, um, the 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 um, radio telescope. The, the radio, yeah, the radio telescope, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so that 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 was. Uh, that was a, a good one to, to visit. In fact, I, I did a write up for MI6 back in, back in the day. <laughs> I, <laughs> you're to look at your I'd, website. I'll, I'll take your word for it, David. <laughs> this one. Um, I went to Fort Knox once, mm. um, but but I was there to do a feature story about the soldiers, uh, and. We drove by the gold depository and the guy said, well, there it is. But if you try to go and, you know, there'll be talked about all the warning systems. Um, So that trip wasn't terribly glamorous. It's not a terribly glamorous place. Um, You you step over that line and we'll shoot you. Basically, yes. Yeah. That puts you you off a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is in, in the film, they do show the real Fort Knox briefly. It's, you know, in real life, you know, you start at Pinewood, they, everyone puts their gas masks on, and then the convoy goes. And then there's a shot of the convoy going through town. That's the real Fort Knox or the town closest to the fort. And then, and right. then of course, once you actually get inside, you're back in, you know, you're back in the UK in real life. Um, but yeah, not, it, it, it is not a very glamorous place at all. And, and there's no gold inside. 
Mm-hmm. I think I think one time they they actually did open it up to the press just to show there was gold inside because there were all these rumors that all the gold was gone. And well, after, I think it wasn't the story that after the U.S. left the gold standard that it was all basically moved around and sold off. My recollection was after that happened, they did have some event where they did show that there was still gold inside. Nothing like you know Ken Adams set in the movie, but I'm you know, well, I and I only have the dimmest memory of that. I I thought there there was still some, but it's you know it's 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 never been the same since they went off the gold standard. Right. And, you know, for those listening, the, the gold standard was basically for all of your net currency in the country, you had the equivalent amount in gold. Right. Um, which, you know, tried to, you know, that was a way of preventing inflation and keeping the currency um, or something. But then, you know, that everybody went off it, right? Um, in the 1970s. Yes. And now we have quantitative easing, which just means print, printing money. Right. Um, <laughs> we've got no gold, but we've right. got this paper stuff. <laughs> Have some more. <laughs> well, um, in terms of, I've been lucky to travel a lot yeah. um, with uh, my real job. Um, I've I've been to many many Roger Moore capitals of the world that he went to over the years, um, and I think uh, one year I had to do. I think it was actually the year before Casino Royale came out because I was actually there for the premiere in Sydney. Um, I had to go to Australia five times in 12 months from, from, from the UK. So um, I I picked different stops halfway and did layovers. (laughs) And um, some friends of mine lived in Hong Kong and that was one of the options to stop halfway. And so I spent a lot of one night trips to Hong Kong that year and thoroughly enjoyed that city. Um, I know we see uh, bits of it in The Man with the Golden Gun, um, mostly bits that aren't there anymore because um, the Queen Elizabeth was finally cleaned up, so that's not in the harbor anymore. And the one that everybody go, tries to go to is the Bottoms Up Club, no. which at the time of the film was in K- K- uh, Kowloon, um, and they moved in the early 2000s to... Um, Wan Chai, the other, the main side of the city. Um, if you know the geography of Hong Kong, it's basically split in two. Um, huh. And now it's the sports bar now. Oh no, <laughs> it's not. Yeah, a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, I went. I went to Hong Kong in uh, when was it? It was about ninety six or something like that. And uh, and uh, I, I wasn't. I wasn't looking forward to it that much. Uh, I, I didn't didn't really think it would be that great, and I, I loved it there. I really really enjoyed it. Uh, but yeah, the um, Queen Elizabeth wasn't there, and uh, I, I didn't go looking for the Bottoms Up Club. But uh, um, yeah, didn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, had a great time in Hong Kong. Loved it there. That reminds me of one place I went to uh, was in Tokyo, and I went to the New Otani Hotel, which was Osato Chemical, and, and you only lived. And it's still there. And because um, it was funny, um, you know, it's, it's a long flight and it takes quite a while to get in from the airport. So by the time my group got in to Tokyo proper, the sun was setting and we were going in cabs to the hotel. And But I could make out the outline of the hotel. And it was like, I said, wait a minute, is that, that was photochemical? Oh, wow. <laughs> and there it was. Yeah. Yeah. And that thing at the top is a revolving restaurant. 
And uh, yeah. I was about to say, on the side, there's this, um, this garden that also figures in the film. So, again, yeah, diagramming how it goes in real life, you know, the scene where, you know, um, uh, Charles Gray gets knifed in the back, that's, of course, in the studio. Bond goes through the paper wall, and then he's out in that garden. It's, that's at the side of the hotel. And then, you know, he, he, he dispatches that guy and gets in the back of the car with the, with the big guy. And so then you go, go through, supposedly through the streets of Tokyo, but, you know, the, that's rear projection and that's, you know, done in the UK. And, and then, then you see the front of the hotel, you know, duck, decked out to look like a Sato chemical. Um, and then you're back in the studio. But again, that's just, you know, the magic of movies, how they meld all these things in one sequence. Yeah, it, 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 it's it's amazing sometimes the way they stitch these things together. Yeah, yeah, I've I've, I've been to Tokyo as well, um, and but I, I didn't I didn't come across the hotel. Uh, but I, I've just remembered somewhere else I, I've been, which is uh, Cardiff, because uh, my sister-in-law is actually from Cardiff, and um, when when my brother and she were married uh, back in two thousand and seven. Uh, I, we went down there, and uh, so I, I took a, a visit to the beach where Halle Berry came out of the water, and so on. And uh, it it was terrible. <laughs> it, it, the beach was just full of sewage. It was awful. <laughs> no. yeah. uh, we, we 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 couldn't go we couldn't go a podcast without mentioning Die Another Day, could we? It's like that and Funko Pops. We couldn't, no, no, no. Yeah, actually, there's something else about Die Another Day, which I remembered earlier today, and it's a bit sad, and it's my nephew, my brother took him along to Bond in Motion, and he couldn't believe that this car had had missiles on it, and so... Uh, he got home and my, my brother showed him the car that, that the film that it came from, which was Die Another Day. So my nephew's first Bond film was Die Another Day, oh, sadly boy. enough. Uh. <laughs> Just one quick footnote about that hotel in uh, Tokyo. Today, you could not go straight into a big car chase from that, which is what happens in the movie, because it's in the middle of a district with a lot of uh, federal government buildings. You would you would tear out of that parking lot and go straight into a traffic jam. And security. Yeah. yeah. Um, some somewhere else I've been, which um, is uh, it it appears in the film, although it wasn't shot uh, there, was St. Petersburg, and because uh, in in Goldeneye they're in St. Petersburg. I, I went there. I don't know, late nineties again. And uh, fantastic city. They've got some, some real treasures there. But uh, one of the things that struck me most, and this, this brings things full circle to talk about drinks, was that wherever you went, it would be 10 o'clock in the morning and you'd be served vodka, which was great. <laughs> are, you, are you a fan of vodka, David? Because I've never, I've never really got on with it. I think it's kind of one of those drinks for people who don't like the taste of drinks. Yeah, I I, uh, I think it depends on what you go for. Um, uh, I like Stolichnaya a lot, and it, because it it's kind of um, if if you sip it, uh, you you might notice it's it's kind of got a, a greasy texture to it. And if you go for something, I'll, I'll compare it with 
um, the latest Bond vodka, which is, is Belvedere, which is triple distilled. Uh, I, I don't know how many times that they, they uh, distill solid now, but well, it's kind of, it's kind of like razor blades now, isn't it? It's like you yeah, just got to keep adding. And, but the thing the thing is, you triple distill anything, and it, you're just removing flavor. Uh, yeah, sure, it's pure alcohol, but right. you 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 are removing flavor, and you know people. People think that vodka doesn't have any flavor, and good vodka should have some flavor. It's very subtle, um, but it, it should be there. And so, I'm not really a fan of stuff like Belvedere, to, to be honest. I, I just right, think it's, it's kind of the it's, it's kind of the opposite of whiskey production, which is it's the impurities, right, mm. that give it the character and the flavor. Yeah. So. Yeah, Smirnoff and Belvedere and all these industrial production places. I guess we're not getting the podcast <laughs> sponsored by Belvedere now. But, um, <laughs> well, this one's, it, is this one sponsored by uh, Funko Pops, though? Uh, yeah. <laughs> or, or did, did we blow that one? Well, we're probably also not going to get uh, Budweiser as a sponsor either. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay, but if anybody out there wants to make Kino Lille, then we're really, that's right. yeah, yeah. But uh, this is this is something because they they, they actually missed out on that. Uh, I think because the the Lille Blanc um, basically was a very small production, uh, a very specialised production house in France, and um, Casino Royale really gave them massive, massive publicity for free because it, they, they, they weren't uh, involved officially with Casino Royale. And um, they, it, it just seems crazy to me that they didn't actually take advantage of all that publicity and start producing something, calling it Kina Lille, even if it wasn't to the exact same recipe as they originally made. Um, I, I don't know why they, they didn't do that. And nobody really would have known the difference. No, right? no, no, that, the, that's right. In the, and uh, in, 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 they, they haven't done that. And uh, they, they have benefited from the, from the indirect association. But um, I think they, they could have, ta- they could have uh, if they'd focused on it, they, they could have done much better. As, as big as bourbon has gotten yes. in recent years, I'm sort of surprised they haven't done a licensing deal uh, you know, with, with, I don't know, Maker's Mark, whatever. Um, there, there's all sorts of new brands. Uh, yeah, who would Bond go for? I like something like a Wild Turkey, maybe. Yeah, well, old Granddad something. is one of the ones mentioned in the book. So. <laughs> yeah, you know it's funny. I was in Atlanta once, and um, long story short, some friends of mine were making sun tea, right? Which is you make it's basically like you're making iced tea, but you put it in a jar, you put it on the roof of your house, and then over the course of the day, the sun warms it up mm-hmm. and sun tea. And they wanted like a really cheap bourbon to mix with it. So I went into the liquor store and there was old granddad. I remembered it from the books, mm. but it was like, it was like $7 or something. <laughs> it was like, they were almost giving it away. It was that bad. And uh, yeah, it tasted pretty fast. <laughs> Not my favorite, but you're right, Bill. That's especially, I mean, Roger drank a lot of bourbon and, and that was never branded or mentioned or anything. It was just like, like maker's mark. I remember they did a deal with, one of the Spider-Man movies, like like the Tobey Maguire ones, it was. I think the I think the villain drank a lot of Maker's Mark. I, I, I definitely remember seeing those seeing those bottles around. Yeah, I, I reckon Spider-Man uh, with half a bottle of bourbon inside him wouldn't go well, would it? <laughs> no, no, that, that's why it has to be the villain. <laughs> be funny, but. Uh... <laughs> 
you wouldn't know where, he wouldn't know where, where he was aiming his, his uh, <laughs> web, his web shooter. Yeah. His web shooter. That's it. <laughs> But in fact, um, God, dear, going around in circles again, back to, to gin, because uh, there there is supposed to be an Ian Fleming gin. I, I don't know if it's been yes. launched yet. Apparently. But it was kind of pre-launched a while ago. Yes, by the IFP, yes. Yeah, and, uh, it, and, uh, and given the fact that Bond is more associated with vodka, it's, it seems a bit weird to me, I think. Well, of course, IFP is pushing the book, so uh, yeah, maybe. Mm. Yeah, but, but in, in people's mind, uh, it's Bond and vodka, not uh, not Bond and gin. So uh, why why Ian Fleming and gin? But uh, you would have to have a sort of an educational aspect to the marketing campaign. Did you know that James, the literary James Bond, drank gin? Mm. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the other way of doing this is buy my book. There you go. <laughs> Links in the description Just below. Just look, look upon it as education. That's right. Yeah. In fact, there's something funny about gin. Uh, we, we've got a we've got a hedge around um, three sides of our property, and uh, I I, w- I was uh, trying to trim it, which uh, is always a disaster, but. Um, I was doing the best I could, and I was thinking as I was trimming, this this hedge smells really, really familiar. And after a while, I realised that it reminded me of gin. So I thought, hang on, uh, hedge, and uh, in, in the, the you know the primary uh, flavouring of gin is, is juniper, and of course, juniper is a hedge. Ah, right, yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, it's James uh, Bond and friends. Educational as well as entertaining. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> the gardening hour. I just looked up that gin, by the way, that you mentioned, uh, David. And yeah, it was um, our own Ben Williams of MI6 went to the launch and he wrote it up on the site. And it was it's actually by Chris Blackwell, owns the rum company, mm. uh, who owns the GoldenEye Resort, for those of you keeping score. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so yeah, his, obviously his family's long relationship with the Fleming estate. Um, so yeah, it's 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 listed as shaken and it's the Ian Fleming British gin. So I don't know if that's available to buy yet or not, but um, mm-hmm. it, the, the bottle looks pretty cool. Well, mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, when they want my address, they can just ship me a crate right. of it. We'll have a tasting review in the future. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that would be one, wouldn't it? Do a podcast where we're doing live tastings. Yeah. It, it might. That could get... That could get that could be really interesting. Maybe better well, or, as a, or a disaster. Or you could incorporate it into uh, an event, you know, in, in connection with the, the premiere of Bond 25, you know, a day before, day after, you know, a tasting of various 007-themed liquors. Yeah, we're going to learn from our Skyfall lesson and not do it the hour before. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we could live stream James Page drinking uh, four cob lunches right. before the premiere. Yeah, my 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 opinion of the movie coming out was slightly tempered by that exercise. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you should have had the four drinks, David. You'd have enjoyed it. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, mind you, uh, for, for, at the Spectre premiere. Uh, I, I think people may have enjoyed the bar 
for a bit too long considering the length of the film because uh, lots of people had to leave at, at about the two hour mark and I, I presume it was for the toilet. <laughs> it's a bio break. <laughs> yes. All right, guys. Well, I think that kind of rounds up our exploration into Bond's booze and bevies. Thanks very much for joining us this week. Where can we find you all online, uh, David, and then Bill or Brian? <laughs> By, uh, Brian and Bill, no? <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, I, I'm David Lee. I run the James Bond dossier. Uh, it's James, the Um uh, I've got a book out, The Complete Guide to the Drinks of James Bond. If you are French, it, there's also a French edition. Wow. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. This came out in, I think, November it was, something like that. Um, uh, this is this is where what you ought to do is, I'm going to say it, then you cut it, you cut out what I say in, and insert somebody in perfect French saying it, because I can't speak French. Okay. Um, it, it is cocktail men votre, uh, les recettes de cocktails et boissons préférées de James Bond. Uh, you can buy that. On, you can get that from Amazon uh, France if you are so inclined. It, that's really, it's really good, actually. It's got uh, some good il- illustrations in it, which was nice. nothing to do with me. All right. Uh, yeah. Oh, and uh, I'll, I'll do another bit of self publicity if I can. Uh, if you go to jamesbonddrinks.com uh, forward slash friends for James Bond and friends, um, th- I, I did an ebook about. Um, uh, how to mix some some basic uh, James Bond drinks if you want to get that. Fantastic. Um, this is Bill and Brian. Um, you can you can you can find the Spy Command blog at hmssweblog.wordpress.com, and I'm also at the Spy Command on Twitter. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. And you can find all of our Bond coverage at even the stuff we've forgotten about, like David's trip to Puerto Rico, (laughs) mi6-hq.com. And the next time we'll all be speaking, fingers crossed, um, next Thursday will probably be to wrap up the Bond 25 press conference. And if it's not, I can edit this this bit out and then we won't look (laughs) good. Great great talking to you both. Take, Take care, guys. Talk to you later.